welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Hello there. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for your ear. You're here listening to the legal merry-go-round where I always want you to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Yes, that's right. And not just in the law. Everything you do, every single day, every single moment, take joy in all the wonderful things that go around and regret if you can so that you can then quickly avoid anything that's not so good. You know, what are the uh, uh, the, the gurus of, of mental processing say? Avoid the negative energy. Embrace the positive energy in your life. So I am attorney Paul Samico. I am your host. And as you know, today is Monday, which means that we're going to be talking about something uh, that is under the umbrella of my topic uh, the topic of, of my name for Monday, and that is Marital Mondays. Yes, so then the word that I just used, topic, it is about things involving family issues, divorce, child support, alimony, custody, all those kinds of things involving the marriage of individuals. Today's topic is one that is, well, ooh, adultery, cheating, on your spouse. Yes, not such a good thing in most situations. So adultery, let's just get right to it. Adultery is defined, as I'm sure you know, as the act of sexual intercourse by a married person with any person who is not their spouse. It's a crime in 20 states, believe it or not, and it's often used as a basis for divorce and as a leverage tool for more money in those divorce-type cases. Let me share a couple of cases with you, and then in the second half of the show, I want to talk about the criminal aspect of adultery and how it impacts divorces. So this was a national headline in New York, 2010, in the summer of 2010, a married New York woman was charged with adultery, with a crime, after allegedly being caught in a playground tryst. They were holding hands when they went to court, the husband and the wife, but nonetheless, she is charged with adultery. Suzanne Corona became only the 13th person in the history of New York to be charged with adultery when she was arrested along with Justin Amend, the adulterous lover. Now, according to state records, 12 people had been charged, so she was number 13 with adultery in the state. The first one was in 1972. Five of those resulted in, conviction, in convictions. The nature of the alleged act may have influenced the police officer to charge Corona with adultery, since the couple allegedly had sex in a public park. Whoa, couldn't even take it inside. 
having sex on a picnic table may have had something to do with it, the police officer said in court. The law uh, says that adultery is a crime, but her lawyer said it should not be. The lawyer for the uh, adulteress, Miss Corona, says, you can't legislate the human heart. It's ridiculous. The side effect is it leads people to commit perjury in divorce cases. It shouldn't be on the books. Corona, 41 years old, was having sex with Amend, her junior lover, age 29, on a picnic table in a park on a Friday afternoon about 5 p.m. The couple were allegedly spotted by a mother playing nearby with her children who called the police. When the cop arrives, he asks them what they were doing, and they said, oh, just talking. Well, obviously, they weren't just talking, said the police officer. He said he witnessed them engaging in sexual intercourse, and he knew that she was a married woman based on prior contact with her and her husband. He charged the young man, Amend, with public lewdness, and the woman, this Corona, with public lewdness and adultery. Amend had not been charged with adultery, according to the police, because he allegedly did not know that she was married. The fact that um, the cop allegedly witnessed the two having sex is significant because you cannot prosecute someone for adultery based solely on the testimony of the participants. So that was a very interesting case in New York. She was convicted. Another one that, you know, more prominent personality in America, you may remember David Petraeus. He resigned as the director of the CIA because of adultery. Uh, he was widely understood to be acknowledging a misdeed, not a crime. Yet where he lived in Virginia, as in many other states, adultery remains a criminal act. Um, if you will, a vestige of the way American laws anchored legitimate sexual activity within marriage. So continuing in Virginia in 2004, a guy by the name of John Bushy, a 66-year-old attorney for the town of Luray, pled guilty to adultery and lost his job as a consequence. His infidelity was never in doubt. After his extramarital affair ended badly, the woman involved went to the police. The assistant Commonwealth attorney, that's what they call a prosecutor in Virginia, later defended the decision to prosecute. We're not out here beating bushes, and certainly we're not peeking in windows. However, in this case, it was thrown in our face. Initially, it looked like Bushy might challenge the law. Instead, he ended up accepting a deal that required 20 hours of community service in exchange for having the charges dropped and his record cleared. Over a decade ago, a well-publicized criminal case involved an Arizona uh, man uh, and his complaint that his wife of 17 years had cheated on him at least seven or eight times. The aggrieved husband, David Banks, explained at that time to a national news network reporter if they use the adultery statute all the time, maybe women or men would think twice about going and jumping in the sack and throwing away their marriage. The police in Arizona didn't want to prosecute, uh, didn't want to make any arrest. They appeared sympathetic to the wife. 
Banks claimed that it took two years for the department even to take his report, and the detective then told him that it's about time she got on with her life and you get on with yours. Banks wasn't convinced. How do they get to pick and choose which laws they can and can't enforce? Uh, They got somebody readily admitting guilt. Seems to me that's a rubber stamp right through the court system, he told a police, a, a, a reporter at the time. The prosecutors apparently did not agree, and there's no record of the case ever being filed. But boy, was it publicized. Well, adultery is a crime in 20 states. I'm going to read these out for you in just a moment. They make sexual acts illegal if at least one of the parties is married to somebody else. Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Kansas, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, New York, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah, Virginia, and Wisconsin. Well, did you hear the state where you lived? If you didn't, then it's not a crime. Now, interestingly, fornication laws, some of these uh, states are the same, which effectively makes all forms of sex outside of marriage illegal, are Idaho, Illinois, Massachusetts, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Utah. Well, if that's the case, if in those states, individuals who are not married and are having relations with each other, they're criminals if they get caught. For those of you in the military and the armed forces, uh, adultery can be punished severely, although usually in combination with a greater wrongdoing, if you will. So the question becomes, why not repeal these laws? Uh, there are crimes in these states. Uh, why keep the law on the books that perhaps even some would argue violate the Constitution and are therefore likely to be struck down by a court if challenged? Yeah, there might be a couple of reasons. Because the laws are rarely, if ever, enforced, it's actually very difficult that they'll be challenged in court. Um, you know, you, you can't challenge a law unless it directly affects you. In other words, you have to be prosecuted for the crime. Um, the mere outrage that the law exists isn't enough. So why bother changing the law if no one's using it and no one can really challenge it? Another reason, more cynically, if you will, probably no legislator wants to champion the cause of decriminalizing adultery or fornication. It's probably not a real good look. Probably wouldn't get too much muster anyway from others, even if there was somebody pushing that kind of of legislation. Even worse, any attempt to repeal the laws is probably going to get pushback from some members of the community, perhaps religious groups. It's happened in the past, even though everyone arguing to keep the laws also knows that they're never really enforced and likely unconstitutional. For some religious groups, perhaps it's important for morality uh, just to have the law in place. Uh, impotently glaring at us all. Well, statistics have shown pretty regularly that only a third of Americans believe that adultery should be a crime. Uh, Thurman Arnold, who was the assistant attorney general under President Franklin Roosevelt, observed about three quarters of a century ago, you're going to love this quote, most unenforced criminal laws survive in order to satisfy moral objections to our established modes of conduct. They're unenforced because we want to continue our conduct and unrepealed because we want to preserve our morals. Well said, Assistant Attorney General Arnold. Isn't that exactly right? 
we uh, we have laws on the book which basically support what we want to believe, but then when we act in a way that is different, nobody is going to enforce it because that's not necessarily what we want to believe, but it is because of the large majority who do that anyway, in contrast to what we want to believe should be the case. I'm going to take a little break. When I come back, I want to talk about the consequences and the uh, the spinning around and the merry-go-round, if you will, of divorce uh, laws and, and uh, the ups and downs of, of the adultery issues as they relate to divorce. Don't go away. I'll be right back. I... I'm not sure about really the entirety of the Roman Catholic religion. I am not a Roman Catholic person, uh, divine providence maybe, but there's a case where a woman named Jane, a devout Roman Catholic woman, um, went to a couple of attorneys and wanted a divorce for uh, from her husband. So the attorneys, you know, went ahead and helped her obtain a divorce. Then she sued her divorce lawyers, claiming they should have recommended a judicial separation since divorce is a sin in the Roman Catholic religion. She claims they didn't take her religious observance into consideration. Uh, that case went nowhere. Sorry that uh, her marriage didn't work, I guess but it's not the lawyer's fault to make sure that it complies with all the religious tenets. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then, either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up, and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, well, we are back. We're talking about adultery in the first half, and I'm going to continue doing so. The slant in the first half was more on the criminal end. Is it is it a crime? Is adultery a crime? Should it be a crime? Uh, 
Most Americans think not. Well, there's moral underpinnings which allow for 20 states, I guess, to keep that law on the books as being a crime. But the issue of adultery arises, unfortunately, all too often in, in, in divorce cases, in many, many divorce cases. Now, sometimes there's been a history of adulterous relationships by one or both spouses that's been tolerated. Uh, other times, it can be the single coup de grace that, when discovered, becomes the death of the marriage. Just from a statistical standpoint, just so you'll have a sense of this, it's estimated that in the United States, somewhere between 30 to 60% of spouses will engage in infidelity at some point during their marriage. Research consistently shows that even 2 to 3% of children born in the U.S. are the product of infidelity. I, I don't get up on a soapbox here. I don't pretend to have a higher moral horse than anybody else. But, you know, I just don't get it. I really don't. If you're married and you want to end the marriage, then end it. And then you have a relationship with somebody else if that's what you want to do. But doing it inside the marriage, I don't get it. Anyway, um, that's just me. Legally, the impact of adultery on a divorce case can vary, of course, from state to state. There's all kinds of different laws. In Illinois, as an example, the existence of an extramarital affair affects the outcome of divorce if the adulterous spouse dissipated funds on his or her lover or if the adulterous party has infected the other party with a sexually transmitted disease that has disabled that person to the point of diminishing his or her ability to earn an income. Wow. Infecting one's spouse with a sexually transmitted disease can also give rise to a personal injury action in civil law. It's unlikely to affect a custody determination in Illinois as long as the children have not been exposed to inappropriate people or situations as a result of the affair. Now, in many states where fault still factors in divorce uh, proceedings, an extramarital relationship can seriously reduce or even eliminate the obligation of one spouse to pay alimony to the unfaithful spouse, regardless of need. In some states like North Carolina, the first factor for consideration under the alimony statute is marital misconduct, which includes adultery. In other words, the extramarital affair can invoke a financial penalty for the straying spouse. Now, maybe the biggest impact of an adulterous, uh, adulterous relationship is the difficulty it presents in settling a case. We're here in divorce court. We want to resolve our issues more than 90% of divorce cases do end in settlement, but infidelity can bring with it highly emotional concerns that complicate settlement negotiations. The non-cheating spouse usually will have a high degree of hurt, anger, and humility, and a need for retribution. The adulterous spouse could feel guilty, but also may feel justified in his or her conduct. In either case, reaching a settlement on financial matters can become very complicated when the parties have emotions guiding them. Even worse, reaching an agreement uh, in matters of custody and visitation can be exceedingly difficult where the best interests of the children should come first and foremost. I mean, so let's face it, obviously, 
you know, we're trying to resolve this so we don't have to go air our dirty laundry in a courtroom. And the issues include the children. Courts universally hold the best interests of the children as primary in making determinations about custody and visitation. But now you throw adultery into the mix, and the non-adulterous spouse is certainly going to offer up concerns of all measure of things that even on a morality scale that they don't want their children being exposed to. Uh, The courts, on the other hand, typically have not really sided with that type of view where they will provide for uh, the, uh, the child custody and the visitation having nothing to do with adultery. Let me talk about what I'm going to call defenses to an adultery charge. You know, just because you can allege adultery and maybe even prove it, that doesn't mean you get the benefit of what might come from that uh, outside of these, what I'll call defenses. Let's take Virginia as an example. It provides several possible defenses to a charge of adultery. If a litigant successfully establishes any one of these defenses, it would bar the entry of divorce on the ground of adultery. The first is something in the law called condonation. Condonation. That occurs when the parties voluntarily resume sexual relations and continue living together after the innocent spouse learns of the adultery. Oh, you were cheating with her, you swine? All right, I forgive you. Come on to bed. Okay, well, that ends the claim of adultery to get the divorce. The next is called connivance or procurement. This is probably a little bit rare, but it does happen. Connivance or procurement occurs when the innocent spouse actually encourages or facilitates the adultery. Here you go. Um, Judge, I have proof that my husband is an adulterer. I have photos. Judge looks at the photos. Well, yeah, there we go. Absolutely. Your spouse and his paramour in bed. Well, who took these photos? Well, um, you know, it was done, uh, you know, uh, we were all naked. Okay, well, that would be connivance or procurement. Recrimination. Recrimination is proof that the accusing spouse is guilty of one of the false uh, fault-based grounds for divorce, such as cruelty, adultery, or desertion. For example, if the wife is accusing her husband of adultery, but the husband can prove that his wife also engaged in adultery, then the husband could use the defense of recrimination. Now, in civil cases, we've heard of the statute of limitations, and that applies to adultery. Time barred. You're not allowed to claim it if too much time has passed. In Virginia, it's five years. That uh, here in Virginia, uh, if the divorce suit is filed more than five years after the adultery, the divorce on the grounds of adultery is not going to be allowed. Finally, uh, there's the Fifth Amendment. We all know about the Fifth Amendment. I don't have to plead guilty. I don't have to testify against myself. Adultery is not only a grounds for divorce in Virginia, but it's also a class four misdemeanor. So this will apply, this Fifth Amendment concern will apply in those 20 states uh, that I read off in the first half of the show here. Because adultery is a crime uh, in these states, a spouse accused of adultery in a divorce can assert their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and refuse to answer questions about the adulterous behavior. 
Now, interestingly enough, in July of 2020, the law in Virginia changed a little bit, making uh, adultery very difficult to prove um, uh, in some situations uh, previously. Now, uh, it's not so hard. If the adulterous spouse doesn't want to uh, talk about it and pleads the Fifth Amendment, a new law that went into effect in Virginia, July of 2020, makes taking the Fifth not so effective. When a party to a family law case invokes their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and refuses to answer questions regarding their alleged adultery, judges may now make an adverse inference against that party. Oh, okay, you don't want to talk? Well, you know, I'm going to presume probably that you were involved in an adulterous relationship. I, I want to share some thoughts about impact of adultery. What what happens in, in these cases, really? You know, let's let's give some examples in, in another situation. If you fall down on a wet spot in, in the in the grocery store, the grocery store might have a duty to make things right. Uh, someone hits your car and you end up with broken bones. You know. They have to pay, or their insurance, of course, has to pay the medical bills and pain and suffering and inconvenience damages, right? If your doctor messes up your operation, you know, you could be compensated in a similar fashion. But what about a cheating spouse? Does the law compensate for a broken heart in the same way as a broken leg? Um, do courts require your wandering spouse to make things right in hard monetary terms? Uh, will a judge sway a divorce settlement in your favor since you are, after all, the wronged spouse? Well, unfortunately, not always, not exactly. The law in most states doesn't typically exact any type of fine or punitive damages from the spouse who committed the adultery. Adultery may have an impact on the distribution of the party's marital assets and debts, although not as much as you might think. Uh, in most cases, adultery also is not going to significantly impact the court's rulings on child support, excuse me, on child custody and visitation, as I mentioned earlier. It's only uh, on the issue of spousal support that adultery usually has a tremendous impact. The court is allowed and, in fact, directed to take one party's adultery into account when deciding how to divide the marital estate. However, in most cases, the adultery won't have much of an impact here. In what might be called very unforgiving terms, uh, your spouse's infidelity does not require him or her to fork over more than half of the marital assets. So for example, uh, even though you might feel your cheating spouse wrecked the marriage with their, call it indiscretion, right? You're not automatically going to get more than 50% of the marital portion of something like a 401k as compensation. Most judges are going to adhere to the law and what we call case precedents, prior case rulings and decisions, which dictate that adultery usually has no effect on the distribution of assets. Now, in a cruel twist, if you will, a lot of states also guarantee your philandering spouse his or her share of your contributions to the marital estate. So don't presume that your pension is off the table simply because your spouse had an affair. Now, there's a little asterisk here worth mentioning. The court can factor one's party adultery 
into the distribution of property and debts where the adultery is shown to have had certain economic consequences. So what do I mean by that? This means, for example, if your spouse dissipated the marital assets in the pursuit of his or her secret affair, the court will account for that in the division of those assets. This is to ensure that you're not financially penalized for your spouse's spontaneous weekends to the Poconos that didn't include you. I've talked about child custody. Uh, proving adultery is not going to be a big deal there. The law particularly looks at the courts to determine the best interests of the children. The court may prohibit exposure of the children to the new boyfriend or girlfriend prior to the finalization of the divorce, but it's not likely to deny to deny uh, cheating spouse primary custody or visitation based solely on the on the adultery. Here is the big one: spousal support. This is the alimony or spousal support, as it's called in many states. It's the one area where proving a case of adultery might be extremely useful in your divorce. Proving it will usually prevent uh, him or her from receiving spousal support whatsoever, meaning if you were the primary breadwinner during the marriage and would not normally owe some monthly, and would normally, excuse me, would normally owe some monthly amount of alimony after the divorce, it's probably now off the table. If you can prove that your spouse was cheating, uh, you'll re the, the cheating spouse usually will not receive any spousal support in most states. Okay, adultery, by the way, is not necessarily a complete bar to the adulterous spouse receiving spousal support. So I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but uh, the law does allow for common sense. The court may still award the adulterous spouse support in some cases based on the relative finances of the party, the relative degrees of fault of the party. For example, where a husband can prove his wife committed adultery, but the wife can show that her husband earns much, much, much more money than she does, and that her husband engaged in egregious behavior that was, in fact, rather than adultery, the central cause of the breakup, the court could still award the wife alimony. Adultery can occasionally provide some helpful leverage in negotiating a favorable settlement. Most people probably want to retain some dignity and move on with their lives. When the alternative is having a trial, the indiscretions that might come out in open court, many spouses might just agree to give their wronged ex a little more home equity, provide a tad higher support payment, and that type of thing. There are pros and cons of divorce, uh, adultery claims in divorce. I want to wrap up by just running through some of these. If you believe your spouse is engaging in an affair, you're probably considering, of course, filing divorce on the grounds of adultery. This may seem like a very obvious and beneficial path in your case, but you should be aware from the very beginning of certain types of problems and be prepared to carefully weigh the pros and cons of filing on an adultery fault ground. Let's start with the pros. Filing for divorce on the ground of adultery might be, I don't know, use the word cathartic for you. 
in so filing, you're definitively stating that your spouse has behaved badly in your marriage. Furthermore, you're forcing your spouse to defend his or her behavior, and you may finally get some answers to some of your questions. Okay, fair enough. Another positive idea of filing on the ground of adultery is that in some states, like Virginia, there's no waiting period, unlike fault-based grounds like cruelty or desertion, uh, where in Virginia, again, have a one-year waiting period before you can file the divorce. You can file divorce on adultery ground immediately in Virginia. However, that doesn't mean the case is going to go faster if it's being contested, because that could take months or even years to play itself out in court. So you're not necessarily saving time by filing on that adultery ground. Also, finally, uh, successfully proving that your spouse committed adultery might prevent him or her from, again, I mentioned, receiving spousal support. But what are the cons? What, what might be some reasons you don't want to file based on adultery? Proving it, as I mentioned, isn't easy. Whether the court will find your evidence sufficient will depend on how credible the judge finds your evidence, including witnesses, and how specifically you can prove the time, place, and circumstances of the alleged extramarital affairs. Well, maybe you've hired a private investigator who has photos and can come testify, but that could be expensive. Finally, if you're debating whether or not to file for divorce based on the ground of adultery, remember that condemnation is an affirmative defense for your spouse. I told you that, you know, you recognize that your husband or your wife was having an affair uh, and then you, you resume relations with them. Well, that's the end of that case. The court's not going to grant you a divorce based on adultery if condemnation occurred. Forgiveness is another word for condemnation. Now, with the law, the legal merry-go-round, there can be condemnation, but if your spouse then goes out and has another episode of adultery, then you can file for adultery. Okay, you follow that? Alrighty, so I've talked a lot. I've given you a lot of information here. Um, adultery, uh, is it a crime? Should it be a crime? Do you want to file on a fault ground of adultery in your divorce? Can it give you leverage? Well, again, not taking any moral high ground. I'm a happily married man. I love my wife. I hope that I'm going to be with her forever and ever and ever. And if something were to happen, you know, I just kind of feel like um, if I was looking to go get a divorce uh, because I didn't love her anymore, I think I would keep the appropriate behavior wrapped up, if you know what I mean, and not let that come out until after the divorce. Best wishes to you and your happy marriage to your husband or your husband or your wife or your wife. And I hope that adultery never bears its ugly head in your lifetime. As I've mentioned always, avoid the downs and savor the ups. Paul Samico, thank you for listening to me. Uh, this is Marital Monday. Please tune in on Wednesday when we're going to talk about criminal matters on the show I call Wrongdoer Wednesdays. Best to you. Thanks for listening to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.